Hello and welcome to the first episode of That's So Random, a random movie podcast. I'm Heath Lambert. Last week, I pushed a button. It's a magic button. It picks a movie completely at random from everything that's streaming. Tens of thousands of options. Could have been anything. Landed on 1982's The Dark Crystal, a movie I have seen before. A movie that is good, which I was not expecting. There's a lot of... Have you seen all the stuff that's on Amazon Prime? Yeah. We have a guest with us today. I have a guest with me today. I plan on having a guest every episode from all manner of walks of life, but as we're still in a bit of a social distance situation, at the moment my guests will be the people who live in my house with me, which luckily there's plenty of them. Tonight I have with me... My fiance, Miss Carrie Claypool. Ms. Carrie Claypool. Say hello. Hello. How are you tonight? I'm doing okay. How are you? I'm good. Ready to talk about the Dark Crystal? Yes. Yes. Which you've seen before. Once. I saw once when I was 10 or 11 on a rented VCR with a rented VHS at my best friend's house. See, children, VCR, VHS, these are magical code words, I know. Ask your grandparents about it. Video cassette recorder. You used to go to the store and rent movies because the internet wasn't even a thing. Look it up. It's interesting stuff. So, The Dark Crystal is directed by Jim Henson, who, other than, obviously, the Muppet guy, everybody loves him, directed lots of the Muppet show and Fraggle Rock and the Muppet movies, other than Muppet stuff, only directed two films. The Dark Crystal's one of them. Two years later, the other is Labyrinth. And it's interesting to me that even though The Dark Crystal made f- like $40 million at the box office and Labyrinth only made 14 I feel like Labyrinth has a much bigger sort of cultural footprint than The Dark Crystal has. And I don't know if that's just the David Bowie of it all or the fact that there's human actors not solely puppets the way there's in the dark crystal or or what i don't know it could be that there was a book because i clearly remember reading a book the labyrinth before i saw the movie see i didn't know about a book i bet it's the david bowie of it i bet you every teenager of every generation discovers david bowie eventually and and falls in love and uh dark crystal was written by a gentleman named david odell who, as far as I can tell, is still alive, but has, hasn't has written anything in quite a while, and that might be because, other than, he did some, some Muppet stuff with Jim Henson, but other than Dark Crystal, uh, the only other things he wrote were the Supergirl movie and the Masters of the Universe movie, both of which are notoriously awful. Uh, beyond that, after that, he did a handful of episodes of Tales of the Dark Side and Monsters, and then that's it. Hasn't written anything since. So maybe he caught so much flack from Supergirl and uh, the He-Man movie that he just packed it in and called it a day. I don't know. So the movie starts with... There's a lot of Star Wars... I-, well, I wouldn't say a lot of Star Wars influence, but I feel like perhaps Universal... Because this is a Universal logo at the beginning. Um I thought all Jim Henson stuff got bought by Disney, but I suppose 
it was probably just the Muppets because HBO owns Sesame Street and Netflix has the Dark Crystal and there's that new Dark Crystal show that they have on there which we have not watched yet but we might have to check out because if 1982's Dark Crystal looks this good I do wonder how much better that new show must look and if it's full of CGI and stuff or if it's also just nothing but puppets I'm kind of hoping for the puppets. It, it's definitely a unique viewing experience, and it's it's real. It's really amazing the talent that goes into creating this world. Uh, yes, and there is yeah. There's a, like I was saying. There's a lot of uh, Star Wars influence. At least it feels like. I wonder if Universal said give us give us our Star Wars. So I don't know if this was intended to be a franchise or not. But there's definitely. It's in the right time period. It was between Empire and Return of the Jedi. Uh, Frank Oz and Jim Henson worked on both. Frank Oz is all over this, as well as playing Yoda, obviously, which we'll get back to. There's a very Yoda-reminiscent scene towards the beginning. But unlike Star Wars, which has just sort of the little 30-second crawl to catch you up on the backstory and sort of set up the mythology a little bit, uh, the Dark Crystal has, and I timed it, six minutes and 20 seconds of narration over the top of some footage. Yes, and it was interesting to note that the narration was done in a mid-Atlantic or a transatlantic accent. And that's something from the 40s and the 50s in movies. It's not a real accent, and it's something you had to learn. So I just thought it was interesting to hear this transatlantic accent yeah I would have thought because there's a lot of British voice actors all over this movie I would have thought they would have just gone with the sort of classy British narrator but it's yeah it's an interesting that sort of flat maybe they're trying to give it that otherworldly you can't place the accent it's not really from anywhere rather than you certainly don't want a narrator that sounds like he's from Georgia or something um, we first meet Jen who is a Gelfling. Gelflings are sort of little elf people, but with like Bojack Horseman face and Bon Jovi hair. He is, uh, well at least the first time we see him, he's naked. He's, the next time we see him, he has clothes on, which is when you realize that you just saw him naked a minute ago. You might have just thought, oh, they're just always naked. They're one of those kind of fantasy creatures but no he wears clothes just not when we first see him and it's for a, a, a kids movie it's, uh, I don't know <laughs> yeah he's sitting on the edge of a stream playing his little pan pipe completely naked I mean maybe he just bathed but it's a strange thing for us to see our first glimpse of him naked yeah I mean there's no like there's no genitals or anything but it's still as soon as you realize that oh no he does wear clothes him being naked first is uh, an interesting choice, I guess. He uh, He's being raised by... Well, let's do the backstory first that is, is explained by the long narration. Uh, it's a far distant planet a long time ago. At one point, there was a, a thousand years ago, there was a crystal that the sort of whatever the dominant race of that planet is. I guess we, we never learned the name of the planet, I don't think, but... There's a, there's a lot of good world building, but there's also a lot of stuff that's kind of left up to conjecture. 
but uh, they they had this crystal. It got cracked, and in doing so, split that race into two. The good half is the Mystics, who look sort of like they're kind of giant slods with tails. They're bipedal, but they have like four arms. And they have a lot of extra skin. I, they kind of, I don't know why I thought llama, but extra skin and four arms. It was interesting. Yeah, they look like very old llama people. But they like to just draw on the sand and they're kind of hippies. They do sort of monk chants at the sun. Well, the three suns, excuse me. And uh, they raised Jen when his all the other galplings, as far as we know, were wiped out by the evil half, their sort of quantum entangled twin souls dark side of the, the Skeksis who are they're gross and creepy looking. They look like vultures with mixed with bugs and skeletons and they have <laughs> hair and eyebrows and human eyes and And they they drool and they wear weird old looking baggy Victorian type clothes. Yeah, almost like ball gowns. They all appear, well, they're def they all sound male anyway, voice-wise. They don't appear to be any females. And we know there's ten, there's ten mystics and there's ten skexies, so I guess they don't really procreate in any way. But, uh, yeah, they're scary-looking creatures. I mean, not as, as a grown-up, but as a, as a child, I could see. This wasn't one that really scared me, but there were a lot of movies in the 80s before there before there was a PG-13, it was either PG or R and nothing in between. There's a lot of kids' movies with scary, creepy stuff in it. I know me personally, and this is slightly embarrassing, I remember seeing Pee-wee's Big Adventure. I don't know how old I was, under 10, and seeing Large Marge, and it's scaring the holy shit out of me. And because of that, because of the traumatic scars that that left on my psyche, I have yet to go back and rewatch ever Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And I know it's silly-looking claymation. I've seen stills of it. I'm sure if I watched it now, I would laugh at it. But it's, it left such a traumatic impression on me as a child that I've just, I have not gone back. Just wait, that's going to be one you push the button for soon. Oh, well, yeah, that could be. At least it won't be Pet Cemetery. That's the other, but that's not a kid's movie, but that's the one that fucked me up when I was a kid. Or Twilight Zone the movie. Twilight Zone the movie, which is PG, has a thing at the very end, which, oh my god, it scared me when I was a kid. I think the one that I first remember being truly terrified of was Snow White. The scene in the forest where she's being chased and all the trees and it's dark and it, it really scared me. I was really little, but I just remember being terrified. And I remember my sister being terrified of the flying monkeys in the Wizard of Oz. Well, and Snow White's just uh, just drawings too. So I think it's still scary if you're young enough. Yeah, my little sister was her thing was the Gamork, the big wolf in the Neverending Story. I remember very much enjoying seeing her run screaming down the hallway or we would watch it and she enjoyed the movie but she knew when it was coming and she would get up and run down the hallway and not come back for the end of the movie i don't know if she ever saw the end of the movie to this day maybe i should call her and ask her so yeah jen's being raised by the the master he calls him who's sort of the leader of the mystics who is on his deathbed and here's our yoda scene 
the uh, Jen talking to the master, the master is explaining to him the quest that he needs to go on because the, the big convergence is coming where the three sons are going to line up and he has to find Jenna. I mean, has to find the uh, hunk of crystal that was broken out and is missing and replace it and fix it to sort of save save the day and save the world. And it's a very it's very Luke Skywalker and Yoda, this conversation. And then the master dies and fades away completely and his blanket drops down and it's straight out of but this is actually before Return of the Jedi, so I'm wondering if Frank Oz sort of took the idea from the Dark Crystal and put it into uh, Return of the Jedi instead. So the Master's dead. Jen's got to set off on his own. He's very doubtful of himself. The other mystics do some sort of spell and teleport the Master's belongings to wherever he went. I don't know, heaven or, or what? Well, when he was dying, he alluded to, to, I can't remember his exact words, to Jen, I won't see you in this life, but perhaps another. So there was an allusion to reincarnation. So maybe they believe in reincarnation. Maybe. So you can take it with you if you're, if you live on this planet. Yeah, just boop in a blue light and the, uh, his, I don't even, you couldn't even really tell what the belongings were, but they say they're sending his belongings after him. We cut over to the Skeksis castle where they have, they have slaves. We'll learn later they're called the podlings, but at the moment they just look like, sort of like zombie cabbage patch kids. They're real, again, I think they're supposed to be cute, kind of, but they're creepy looking. They got big dead wet eyes and gaping open mouths and they're just stumbling around. They're not pleasant to look at at all. And when the, uh, as the master is dying, because of there's the sort of quantum entanglement, sort of what happens to one of the mystics happens to one of the Skeksis and vice versa. The emperor of the Skeksis is dying as well, but he doesn't get to just fade away nice and peacefully. He crumbles into dust in what is a very impressive uh, practical effect that I, A, don't know how they did, B looks really good. Yeah, it is pretty um, intense and kind of scary. And then all the other Skeksis, like there's one who see sees the scepter and he's mine, mine. Yeah, their voices aren't great either. Yeah. If you're trying to not scare children, having them uh, crumble into dust and sound like that is not a good combination. So yeah, the emperor's dead now. They need to find the new emperor. The the only other Skeksis that we that we really hear a name for, as far as I could tell, was Chamberlain, who's a real whiny. He sounds like Gonzo if he was a thousand years old and whiny as fuck. Which I mean, that could be a Frank Oz thing too. I don't know. He might be the same voice as Gonzo. I'm not sure. But um, it's time to decide who's going to be the new emperor. So they do something called the trial by stone which I have a lot of logistical questions about. A big uh, hunk of crystal rises out of the ground. They each get a big sword. They start hacking at it. One, the crystal already has sort of hacks and slashes taken out of it, which makes me wonder if the last time they did this, if someone won or not, because the way to win, apparently, we see this time, is to sort of hack the top piece of the crystal off. And um, so then once you do do it, 
what happens to five years when you have to do this again because someone else is challenging the Emperor? Do you have to go get another big chunk of crystal? Where are they getting all this crystal? It's not part of the Dark Crystal. Which, oh, spe I forgot, speaking of the Dark Crystal, we have, uh, you know, movies like to sneak in the movie title in the dialogue and this at the end of the narration the narrator's you know the dark crystal and the logo comes up and the logo for the dark crystal the font of it is this sort of purple thorny it's a really cool looking font that i've never seen because a lot of movies will sort of copy fonts from each other but this i've never seen one like this and even the credit font is like this cool rune looking sharp edged yeah it's really cool looking yeah, it is. It's very artistic, and uh, it's cool. So Chamberlain loses. And when you lose, they back you into a corner, and they rip off your Victorian ball gown and leave you standing there all wet and cold and shivering and exile you naked. And if... I mean, I don't want to see Jen naked. You really don't want to see these Skeksis naked because it is appalling to look at yeah it's like cockroachy yet bird-like but crab-like i can't even describe it it's quite the sight it's gross is what it is it's gross you can just say gross gross the um yeah so they boot him out jen's been told he needs to go and find ogre who's a seer and uh he's wandering around looking for Ogre, who will tell him how to find the piece of shard he's missing. The master had told him to follow one of the sons to find Ogre. Oh, yeah. One of the three sons. So, and then as, he, as he's wandering around, he, he says, oh, I wa what's, what's an Ogre? I wonder if Ogre's murder gelflings, he says. Hard M murder, which is a word. Well, I guess that's the only time they say murder, but they say kill. Murder and kill a lot in this movie. Kill the gelfling, kill the gelfling. Which, again, it's another sign of find a find a kids movie that's come out in the last 10 years where they say the word kill once even let alone <laughs> multiple times um yeah there's a level of sort of dark and some violence which we'll get to towards the end especially so he finds ogre ogre well ogre finds him because he gets trapped in some vines or something ogre's my favorite character yes yeah she's cool she's got one eye she can take out and look around with yeah, she's got like ram horns, long stringy hair. She has a much more emotive face, this puppet does, than, um, well, I guess the, just the head is a puppet. It's a person in a suit and then the head, sort of like the, the Ninja Turtles were in the, with the animatronic heads in the live action Ninja Turtle movie. But um, yeah, she has a much more, I don't know what they did with this puppet, but she, she can sort of express shock and surprise and 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 anger and in a way that the Gelflings really can't with their barely blinking dead doll eyes. So uh she takes him to her house. She has where she lives, a giant because she's been studying and keeping track of this prophecy of the convergence. This giant, very cool, probably expensive to make, but I appreciate that they made it because this is nowadays with CGI. And I'm not complaining. I like CGI just fine when used correctly. But this, like, giant life-size, and you know it's real and practical because at one point an actor is riding around the room on it. Um, model of the solar system that's spinning around and 
takes up this whole room and it's it's really impressive to look all the sets are really impressive but this is one of the better ones and I remember appreciating that as a child because I, I thought it was strange that there would be three suns and how would that even work to have three suns in a solar system and seeing the model, I mean, it didn't make it clear to me, but it made more sense. And I, I that was one thing that I really remember vividly from the movie was that the model, the very large model of the solar system. It was cool. And we know it's real because it gets broken in a minute and smashed apart, which is sounded pretty sad yeah that was really sad to see because it was it was a piece of art and it was destroyed hopefully they built a couple of them i wonder if there's one somewhere the way that probably not the way that peter jackson has a hobbit house that he <laughs> hidden away in new zealand for real um so the well she has she has a box full of crystal she doesn't know which one is which the gelfling's supposed to figure it out she dumps them on the floor for him he plays his little pan flute, and one of them lights up, so he knows he's got the right one. And, of course, right that second is when the Gartham attack. The Skeksis have these sort of guard creatures called the Gartham who are awesome-looking. Awesome-looking. Even by today's standards of, like, creature design. They're like these big crab beetle things that the way they... With big claws and tentacles and the way they shuffle along the floor because there's a person inside this big bulky thing and they're just god they're cool looking yeah they're they're very um soldier like but scary they are scary and they have glowing purple eyes and they their main ammo is to come and, and bust up your shit they start punching holes in the walls they knock over a fire and set her place on fire they grab ogre throw in her bag they tear down her cool solar model thing Jen escapes, rolling down the hill, lands in a swamp. And speaking of impressive sets and practical effects, he lands in this swamp that is such a living, breathing thing. Everywhere he walks, the plants move around him. The level of puppeteering is crazy. There's little animals and big animals. There's We probably see seven or eight different species of flora and fauna populating this sat as he walks through it and it's it's very very cool yeah it's definitely a feast for the eyes it, it's magical and believable and amazing and just the level of artistry and the creativity to create that world it's it's amazing and there's times there's times that obviously from sort of wi wider angle or longer shots that it's Jen is is not a puppet because we're seeing his whole body and he's running and jumping and that's a must have been probably a little person in costume or something but otherwise it's it's all puppetry in the movie he gets stuck in a puddle of mud and is saved by kira who turns out to be surprise surprise another gelfling a female gelfling he's never seen one before he was supposed to be the last one and they uh touch hands and it's the uh what, what do they call it a uh, dream fasting dream fasted they touch hands and they are flooded by each other's childhood memories of their how the gartham came on skexy's order and wiped out all the other gelflings she was taken in and raised by the podlings that we mentioned earlier um, she gets to see how he was raised by the mystics so we see little baby Jen and Kira puppets, and uh, 
what it, what a useful, well, either useful or horrific, but say on a first Tinder date, you go to shake someone's hand and you get a flash of all of their trauma and, and all of their joys in their life and you can figure out very quickly exactly why they are the way they are. Yeah, I think it would be useful in some instances, but others, I, I like talking to people. Yeah, I suppose. It would cut down on the chit-chat, though. Well, but actually, before he meets Jen, we meet Fizzgig, because this movie has a jump scare. He's looking this hollow log, and this mouth of teeth comes jumping out at him. Is maybe the first jump scare in a children's movie ever? Probably. I don't know. I'd have to research. But um, Fizzgig is sort of a dog? The credits describe him as what? A monster. A friendly monster or a good monster? I can't remember, but he's a monster. He's not that friendly. He <laughs> he's barking and barking, but he's all bark and no bite. He's kind of just a big ball of fur with a Chewbacca face. He reminds me of a Pomeranian my sister used to have. <laughs> it's sort of Pomeranian, but he's got the mouth that when he opens his mouth, it's basically like his entire head splits apart as he's yapping at you with his teeth. And he's got a little tail, and he just rolls around. I mean Pomeranian by the attitude. The all bark, but no bite. Sure. And he uh, he's a companion to Kira. He seems to be a good dog, good guard dog at, the, at this point. Um, he'll prove himself to be the world's worst guard dog later in the movie, and we'll get to it. But um, also while we're in the swamp, right after Kira and Jen depart to uh, continue the quest, we meet uh, a Nebri, which is like a sort of like a big frog pig creature, and it's got two little babies with it, and it's the most unintentionally funny, I laughed, moment in the movie, because we're looking at these baby Nebri frog creatures, and then hard cut, the hardest of cuts possible, over to the Skeksis castle, where there's a baby Nebri on a plate, and they're like... Roast Nebri, yum yum, and it's just this <laughs> cooked corpse of this baby frog thing that we were just looking at, and it made me made me laugh. Yeah, we need to talk about that feast they were having because it was pretty detailed and pretty gross. Super gross. They've got like noodles and maybe eels. They don't really have utensils. They've got like these things on the ends of their fingers that they use to stab whatever they're gonna eat, and they pick stuff out of their teeth, and they have. It coming down it's it's really detailed and pretty it's a pretty long scene with not a lot of significance but it's just gross yeah it leads into the the gartham delivering ogre to them while they're having dinner but prior to that yeah it's just a long scene of them eating but it's sort of more world world building because they're eating lots of little things while they're still alive and um they have teeth. Did we mention these bird beaks have teeth in them, which is another layer of nightmare fuel for children at the time? Like, birds don't have teeth, and if they do, you're in the wrong place, man. So, yeah, the, the Gartham deliver Ogre to the Skeksis. She has, she didn't have time for any of Jen's shit. I mean, she was helpful, but she she's a crotchety old lady. Every time she moves, it hurts. <laughs> and she's, like, she's so much like a real-life old lady she has she gives zero fucks about these skexies they think she's going to be scared of them and she tells them where to stick it like she's not scared of them at all 
and she lowers herself to the ground like she's in so much pain it's 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 funny yeah it's lots of grunting the voice work i don't know the actress's name but the voice work on ogre is great too and she's she's uh, the real hero of the movie well maybe not kira's the real hero of the movie we'll get to that but um the best character i think the um jan and kira have arrived at the podlings village where kira was raised there's dancing and singing and eating and again i think they're supposed to be cute they but they sort of look like frail rock cabbage rass kids and they're they're not not cute they're disturbing looking with their yeah again they got these dead big wet black eyes and their mouths are always like their mouths don't really move they kind of just hang open (laughs) keeping all the time it doesn't look cute at all and when you know it the garthams show up again busting holes in the walls grabbing these little podling puppets and throwing them around the room which is pretty funny to see the funniest thing is when the gartham break through the wall there's one podling who just straight down the barrel of the camera opens its mouth well its mouth's already hanging open but and lets out like a scream queen friday the 13th style human woman scream and it's kind of hilarious <laughs> it is so that jen and kira have to run away again the Gartham capture all the podlings and drag them away in a like a big basket. The Gartham almost catch Kira and Jen, but they are saved, weirdly, by Chamberlain, who's apparently been following them around, who stops the Gartham from attacking them. Yeah, so they leave, and at this point, I'm realizing that Kira is the real brains in this operation. She's the one who's got a level head, who's kind of able to clearly see what they should be doing. Jen, at this point, is just done with this quest, and he throws the crystal shard. And Kira goes and finds it, and in looking for it and finding it, they stumble on these ruins. These, uh, the Gelfling ruins. Yeah, he's, she's definitely... She's the real hero of this movie because he's kind of a loser. She has to explain things to him about the quest that he was sent on. Yeah, and she can talk to animals. She can talk to animals. We forgot to mention when she was in the swamp, and that'll come into play again later. But yeah, she has to go find his shit he threw into the woods because he's pissed off. Like, come on, man. Like, I know, uh, I'm sure you're tired of everywhere you go, these bugs show up and start attacking people and burning people's houses down, but... I mean, a quest is a quest, man. You can't just throw your shit in the woods and expect a girl to go find it for you. The uh, Here's where Fizz Gig proves to be a terrible watchdog, because they're looking, they're in these ruins, they're looking at the uh, these hieroglyphics that explain to them and to us again sort of what the, the prophecy is of the the Gelflings are going to stop the Skeksis and all this. And uh, Chamberlain just appears behind them. As if, like, he just snuck up on them, and Fizzig didn't have shit to say. This dog who won't shut up, the one time his barking would have been useful, ain't got shit to say. So that's a disappointing dog. Jen, Fizzig, or uh, Chamberlain is trying to convince them to come back to the castle with them. He can he can get back into the other Skeksis' good graces if he brings the Gelfling. You know, trust us, we can be friends. When we genocided your race, it was all a misunderstanding. I'm sorry. And Jen, again, doof that he is, almost falls for it. And Kira has to be like, no, what are you doing, man? No, 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 we're not going with this guy. We're not going with this guy. And they run away. She uses her animal-speaking skills to call these, what are they, the land striders? 
which again, very, very cool creature design. Yeah, she calls them and they come with these long legs. They can kind of move real fast and uh, they come when she calls them so that they can give them a ride. Yeah, they're like, uh, uh, there must be people, um, there's people inside, obviously, with stilts on their arms and legs, but they're sort of a big white, it almost looks like a three-toed sloth with really long arms and legs and like a Cthulhu face and rabbit ears or possibly wings, I'm not sure, on their back. But yeah, these little puppets are on their back and they're just running across the field. And again, it's all practical. It's uh, it's such a good design, implemented well. It just looks very, very cool. And we uh, then we cut to the most fucked up scene. And that's saying something, as we've already seen some shit. Uh, one of the Skeksis, this sort of scientist, has a lab down in the basement of the castle where he is sucking the life essence out of these podlings to feed to the emperor to sort of maintain their youth or regain their youth I guess they used to do this to the gelfling but they killed all the gelflings so they don't have that anymore the podlings will have to do so they're strapping these little puppets into these chairs and manacling them in they're on like an IV drip they're shining light from the dark crystal into their eyes and we watch these little puppet faces and hands sort of like shrivel up in real time I don't know I'm sure it's some kind of pneumatic system or something is how they did it but it, it's a very effective looking and does not belong in a children's film no it is scary looking for sure i can't imagine if a five-year-old was watching that they would have nightmares I mean, we're not prudes or nothing we're just uh you know de- detailing the big difference between kids films now and the fucked up shit we had when we were kids <laughs> yeah i think it's definitely a commentary of the times that we definitely think a lot more about what our kids see and what we want them to be exposed to or maybe it makes a difference that it's puppets instead of people maybe that's it's supposed to be less scary than but it's not because they got they again they have these big black eyes that don't blink and there's just like tears pouring out of their eyes <laughs> while this beam is shining into it and it looks pretty legit and it looks pretty horrific the um, Jen and Kira show up on the Landstriders. The Landstriders get in a fight with the Gartham, which is pretty cool. In order to, um, what's that? Oh, the Mystics. We forgot they're traveling across the plains, singing their monk songs. Yeah, they're looking at the three suns coming together. They know it's time. Shit's going down, so they start walking from their village, and they've been. We keep cutting back to them just walking across the plains <laughs> days and days the ten of them just walking in a straight line and uh, we assume they're going to the castle and they are but I guess we don't know that immediately but um, so the Gartham kill the Landstriders boo and Jen and Kira have to jump off a cliff to escape at which point from Kira's back, from under her clothes, come, like, little fairy wings come out. Yeah, and this would have been handy to use, I'm sure, other times, but she uses them now, and she doesn't really use them again, even though there's a scene where I was thinking, just fly! Come on, you could save the day if you flew. But she uses them this one time, and Jen is confused and wants to know why she can do that, and she says, well, you're a boy. So I guess that's one of the differences between boy gelflings and girl gelflings. And then another difference between them is that I don't know what it is about 
the Kira puppet versus the Gen puppet because they have basically the same horse face. But hers is a little, I don't know what the subtlety is, but she looks more human to me than he does. Like, he's for sure a puppet. Her, I could be convinced if you told me that's a person in, like, makeup and a wig. Yeah, I agree. So, but yeah, so she has wings. She uses them sort of to glide off a balcony later, but I, d- I don't know that they're flying, like, flat, flat wings. They seem to be more, not even hovering, but just, like, to slow our fall. So she does. She saves the day again, not for the first or last time. She saves his ass. They uh, need to sneak into, like, a sort of a sewer tunnel to get into the castle. Chamberlain's in there with them. Knocks part of the tunnel down on Jen, and he's trapped under some rocks with Fizzgig. He drags Jen away, or Kira away, rather, to the other Skeksis. They can't decide if they want to drain her essence or kill her. They're terrified of her when they see her. They're screaming like like a woman in the 50s up on a table because she saw a mouse. Yeah. Um, so Kira gets dragged off, strapped into that fucked up chair they're gonna drain her essence ogre's there in a cage reminds kira you can talk to animals why aren't you doing this so she sings her little song and calls the animals and the animals the other animals that are in this lab come busting out jump on the skexies and knock him into a a giant pit of lava at which point we cut back again to the mystics as they're traveling across here's another funny part as they're traveling and the uh, one of them, because one of the Skeksis just fell in lava, one of the mis- mystics just spontaneously combusts in a ball of fire and is gone. And the other mystics just sort of look back for a second and like, hmm, and just keep on walking. Yeah, no reaction whatsoever. <laughs> he just died. Like this shit just happens every day. It's <laughs> fine. Which it should. Well, there's only ten of you left. When one of you dies, it should kind of be a big deal which is a question i have with the when they kick chamberlain out when the skexies exile chamberlain after he loses there's only 10 of you left can you really afford to send one out in the wild naked and afraid i don't know you should probably be trying to preserve or maybe it's kind of a the less of us there are the more power is shared between us when the big convergence happens i don't know they don't explain it like i said there's a lot that is sort of left up to our imagination maybe some of it gets explained in that show which we might have to check out um at this point the convergence is happening the skexies gather sort of almost like they're mesmerized in the um, dark crystal chamber which is under a hole in the ceiling where the suns are going to shine through they uh don't seem to notice that one of their guys is missing or that they never really resolved the whole Gelfling in their castle issue, uh, which I feel like should be a priority, especially, again, if there's only, at this point now, nine of you left. You know, hey, where'd Steve go? And what's, he dragged that Gelfling down to the dungeon. What's up with that before we get into this? Yeah, and during this time, the mystics have arrived and the uh, Gartham have been guarding the castle and all they have to do is sing their chants and it disarms these Gartham. Yeah, they turn off like a robot that you unplugged 
or hit their off switch. They just sort of power down. And the mystics come on into the castle. They sort of face off with the Skeksis. Jen and Kira are hiding out on up on this balcony. Jen, the mystics and the Skeksis don't really fight. They're sort of slow moving. They're just kind of looking at each other and grumbling. Jen jumps onto the top of the crystal. Kira is grabbed and stabbed in the back. Yeah, that's pretty violent. She's writhing on the floor and her death froze. So. <laughs> yeah, and she's calling his name as she's dying. Like, I mean, you don't see any blood or anything, but she, yeah, she gets stabbed right in the back and she's dead on the ground. Jen, uh, speaking of stabbing, stabs his chunk of the crystal into the big dark crystal right as the sun's three suns unite and uh, light shoots out of it through the heads of the mystics out their eyes. It's very uh, end of Raiders of the Lost Ark with the Ark of the Covenant killing the Nazis. It kind of looks similar to that with slightly less good special effects. There hasn't been a ton of sort of blue screen or green screen anything until this end bit here and then there's a lot of it that doesn't doesn't hold up and you definitely remember you're watching a movie from 1982 yeah it it doesn't seem to fit with the rest of the artistic puppetry well you gotta do what you gotta do you can't make a puppet of a beam of light I guess but um yes the light is hitting the Skeksis and the mystics it causes them to sort of join back together and merge into this back into the original race that they were before they were split and it's an again another very cool creature design they're this sort of tall spindly sort of like gray aliens arms and fingers not much of a f sort of eyes but not really much of a mouth and then they have like cool hair standing straight up that looks like tree branches almost kind of like the the slim jim guy or or wayne static yeah they're really I wasn't expecting it and they just they had a really unique and interesting look to them and how the two the good and the evil came together to make that it was it's interesting yeah they're very ethereal and glowing bright white and they um, don't have much to say they're kind of thanks Gelfling I guess um, they resurrect Kira for him bring her back to life and then just peace out and shoot through the shoot off into outer space as beams of light leaving uh i guess just the gelfling to repopulate the planet you know what i'm saying yeah some puppet sex but first <laughs> the castle crumbles and reveals this beautiful white kind of crystal palace yeah it goes from uh sort of this this black and thorny insectile scary looking castle into it's the same basic shape but it's yeah bright white crystal that glitters in the sun and and that's it roll credits and uh we we had a we had a good time uh, you you worry with stuff from your childhood because most things from your childhood don't hold up very well at all um it's, it's a good time yes it definitely was i i think the part that i appreciated the most was the puppetry yeah, it's definitely, they don't do it like that. I'm trying to think, I mean, we had a run of stop motion for a while. Stop motion has definitely come a long way, but I don't know. I mean, other than something like the Happy Time Murders or something, but as far as like a full-on puppet 
I mean, I guess maybe there's a couple of those Elmo movies or something that came out in theaters, but even those are like, that's like Sesame Street Muppets. The design is not the same as like this is with the sets and it's really something to behold. They don't, they don't make them like this anymore. And it's, uh, it, it held up pretty well, I feel like. So that'll do it for our discussion of The Dark Crystal. Not quite as funny as I would hope, but it's hard to make fun of a movie that you actually enjoy. <laughs> I feel like when we start getting shitty movies, then it'll be a lot easier to, to make jokes on. Speaking of, let's see. Let's push the magic button and see what we have for next week. Here we go. What is, what is that? What is that? The $2, $2 bet better. Betor? B-E-T-T-O-R. $2 better. It's on Amazon Prime. It's from 1951. What is the description of here? A gambling man. Well, that'll be interesting. I've never heard of that. I bet if I went outside right now, well, not right now, it's the middle of the night, but if I went out during the daytime and asked the first 200 people I saw if they've even heard of this thing, not one person will have heard of it. Have you heard of this? I've never heard of it. Well, it'll be interesting. We'll see if we have you back as a guest to talk about that or if I get somebody else. But, um, yeah, so the $2 better on Amazon Prime. That's your homework for next week, should you choose to accept it. I've been Heath Lambert. You've been Carrie Claypool. Have a good week. <laughs>